Like, you think, is that news? Do you think that's news that you gave me? Like, I'm holding them. Of course they got here. I know that they got here. Thank you, Captain Obvious, for this news that you gave to me. And uh, I just was like, we, we both got this really, like, kind of like a crack out of, like a, we got a laugh out of this moment where I'm like, hey, here's something that's here. And she's like, I know I'm, I'm holding it. And uh, in this section of Ephesians, if you missed it, it has uh, some, some things to say about marriage. And so I'm kind of just pointing out the obvious here, continuing my role as Captain Obvious, saying, hey, uh, this passage says something about marriage, okay? And uh, if you're listening at all, you picked up on that, right? You heard something about wives, something about husbands. I don't know what you heard, okay? But it said something about marriage. And again, it seems obvious, but I'll point it out anyway. Marriage is a big deal, okay? Uh, Marriage is a big deal, and I thought about like the millions of ways I could illustrate this, and it seems like there's millions. I, I actually went, I'm gonna go with a billion. It's $72 billion, that's the wedding industry, which is more than most, a lot of professional sports put together, total revenue. So it's pretty impressive industry, $72 billion. It's kind of crazy. And so marriage is a big deal. You can see it through the wedding industry. I, I couldn't find a precise number of books about marriage or relationships, But anecdotally, I'll tell you, there are more books on relationships and marriage than you can read in your lifetime. If you made a full-time job out of reading marriage and relationship books, you would not finish before you left this earth, okay? Uh, And maybe you're a speed reader or some kind of savant, so I'm gonna caveat that. Um, But there's a lot of books about it. There's a lot of money that's spent on it. But more than just the number of people or the amount of money uh, that, that marriage affects, it's, it's the way that we are affected by marriage. It's like this fundamental relationship. And, uh, and it's what sociologists would call uh, culturally universal. So sociologists would describe marriage as culturally universal. It's gonna show up in, uh, universally in cultures, okay? And um, even if you aren't married, and there's folks here in part of our body that are not married, and there's messages for you too, uh, m- your parents' marriage, or lack thereof, is currently impacting you in some form or fashion. Even if you're not married, you're being impacted by marriage. All around you, in your own life, you're being impacted by marriage. And even if you aren't married, the stats would say that you'd like to be, okay? And so when you are married, this is gonna be relevant information to you, but there's actually something that's really relevant before you're married, okay? You're gonna get to that. Um, marriage relationships are the source of some of our greatest joys and some of our deepest pains. We know that to be true. It's a way that it affects us with great joy and great pain, okay? And this leads to the last obvious thing that I wanna point out about marriage, and uh, it's that there's massive compu- confusion and pain surrounding it. Massive amounts of confusion and pain surrounding marriage for a lot of people, and people are looking for answers for how to deal with this confusion and pain. If you don't believe me, this, in terms of confusion, one stat that I, that I found this week was that 20% of people have engaged in ethical non-monogamy if there is such a thing. So I'm, I'm like, that is a, is a fascinating term, ethical non-monogamy, which would be polyamory or polygamy, which was also just passed in the Utah Senate, was legalizing polygamy. So it's really interesting trying to make sense out of this marriage thing. And, and that's kind of like maybe on the far end of a spectrum of confusion where it's like there's a lot of, that's pretty far out there, you would think. But 20% is a big number, so just I'm highlighting that. It's one in five, Okay. But even just in general confusion and pain surrounding marriage, my inbox this week 
from this really random secular parenting website that somehow they got my email and they just pump out. They just, they're really good at uh, connection with their readers or lack, not non-readers like me. But one of their headlines were, was this, 23 good pieces of advice all couples need to read. And so what you need to know about them is that they have somebody who's doing their marketing who's trying to tailor that headline to something that would be clicked on. People are going to click on that headline because they want to know, what's this advice? I need advice about my marriage, about my relationships. But just in case you think this is like a them thing, this is like a us, church, them, secular, outside world thing, um, that's not how it is for me this week. If this message is a meal, I was preparing this message with a really big appetite. What I mean is that my own marriage has some significant issues. I know that's true because I make up 50% of it. So I know for sure we have some serious issues. And I'm thankful the Spirit of God has something to tell us about marriage because in a lot of ways I'm preaching out of my weakness today, not my strength. I can see tons of ways that I need to grow as a husband. I can see a lot of ways that I'm longing for my marriage to grow and change. So I'm preaching out of weakness, not out of strength, not saying, look how well we've gotten this down, outside world, take a, just take a hint from us. Um, that's not our posture when we're coming to this topic of marriage. And I believe that uh, this, par- uh, this passage has a lot to say about having a great marriage. I think this passage has a lot to say about having a great marriage. And man, I want this church to be full of great marriages. You want to see a revival of joyful worship that is advancing God's kingdom in every generation? See a bunch of great marriages in one community, like really beautiful marriages. And I believe this passage has something to say about that. In fact, I believe that if there is going to be a revival of joyful worship in this community, there will necessarily be great marriages attached to it. Um, But that's because as Ephesians is going to teach us, marriage was designed to be a gospel-fueled act of worship. You wanna know what marriage was designed to be? It's designed by a designer to be a gospel-fueled act of worship. You see, having something to say about marriage, which Ephesians does, is not at all unique. Tons of people have things to say about marriage. But what exactly Ephesians claims about marriage is entirely unique. C.S. Lewis, um, said he's, he's an author. He, he, a lot of people think he was like maybe like a Christian professor or something. He's not. He, was a, he, he studied mythology, right? So he's, a, he's just in Oxford or Cambridge, one of these places, just hanging out with a bunch of really hyper-intellectual people. And he was, a total, he was totally running the opposite way of God. And in the midst of uh, just some relationships with other authors and other thinkers, uh, he got, the gospel got a hold of him. And so here's, how, here's a quote from him that I think is, speaks to what we're talking about today. It, said, it says this, God made us. It's a little bit of a long quote. Read it, okay? Use your eyes to, to follow along with me, but you, we, need to, we need to read it, okay? C.S. Lewis, he says it this way. God made us, invented us as a man invents an engine. A car is made to run on petrol. He's, he's British, it's gas, okay? They're probably like, he's American, that's petrol. Um, okay. Uh, a car is made to run on petrol and it would not run properly on anything else. Now God designed the human machine to run on himself. 
He himself is the fuel our spirits were designed to burn or the food our spirits were designed to feed on. There is no other. That is why it is just no good asking God to make us happy in our own way without bothering about religion. God cannot give us a happiness and peace apart from himself because it is not there. There is no such thing. And he continues, that is the key to history. Terrific energy is expended, civilizations are built up, excellent institutions devised, but each time something goes wrong, some fatal flaw always brings the selfish and cruel people to the top, and it all slides back into misery and ruin. In fact, the machine conks. It seems to start up all right and run a few yards, and then it breaks down. They are trying to run it on the wrong juice. That is what Satan has done to us humans. Does that resonate with you at all? See what he's saying? He says that's the key to history, but I'm saying that's not just the key to history, it's key to the history of marriage. We try to run it on the wrong fuel. And so that's why what Ephesians claims about marriage is so unique. It's so unique. It claims that the most important person in your marriage, your current or future marriage, is neither you nor your spouse. It's Jesus. You want to know the most important person in your marriage is? It's not you or your spouse. It's Jesus. Because biblical marriage is a gospel-fueled act of worship. The engine of marriage runs on gospel fuel. The act of being married is an act of worship. So what I want us to look at today is how marriage was designed, what it looks like walking in worship in the context of marriage. That's where we're going to be at, Okay. And, and just to track along, anchor these in your mind, uh, it's designed with distinction, it's designed for dependence, and then it's di- designed to display something. Okay, so it's designed with distinction, designed for, disp- for dependence, and designed to display something. Okay, so first point we're gonna see is just that it's designed with distinction. Uh, right away, we're keyed into this reality that according to God's word, he designed marriage with distinct roles for men and women. Okay, you can see that in, in verses 22 and then in verse 25. Wives, submit to your own husbands. Husbands, love your wives. And I'm not going to spend a ton of time saying that uh, if the Bible is attempting to be popular, uh, this is not a great strategy. Okay. If the Bible is trying to just kind of like make it really easy for all of our culture to digest and embrace and run with, saying things like that's not helpful. That's not what the, that's not what the Bible's trying to do. The Bible's trying to tell us the truth about marriage and how it was designed, okay? And so generally speaking, across our culture, the trend is toward minimizing differences between men and women. That's the trend. Uh, and, and oftentimes, it's attempting to do away with any distinction at all between men and women. In a lot of ways, to be honest, I get it. I, I get it because texts like this one have been abused. They've been distorted and then used to abuse power and authority in relationships. That's, that's what has happened with a lot of biblical texts. People will take and honestly just read like half of them. You just don't even have to, it's not like a lot of work. You just have to read like the next section. But people will take that and they will abuse it and distort it so that they can um, live in such a way where they can abuse other people and, and abuse their authority and it's shameful. So I get it. I get why there's this maybe reluctance and pushback against seeing any distinction between men and women. 
People play that out in ways that are really unhelpful. But the answer is not to disregard the text and just push it aside to Thomas Jefferson our way through this and cut it out and create our own scriptures. Which rather is to fully understand it and understand, try to get inside the designer's mind and inside of his heart. What are you doing with these distinctions that you clearly are calling out here? Okay, so let's look at it. Uh, the calling of wives. Ephesians 5, 22 through 24. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. And for the record, this text, all of these, we could preach probably 5,000 messages on them, okay? So just know that we're not gonna cover it all, but I'm trying to get you to, down to the, the, the roots of this, uh, what does worship look like in the context of marriage? So here's, here's talking to wives, and he says, wives, not women, okay? The word actually could be women or wives, but the context is clear, clearly talking to wives, not women, husbands, not men. He's talking about the way that leadership is organized inside of the marriage structure. And so I have two little girls, and you better believe that the authority structure is not just any man has authority over my girl. Do you see that? That's not the way that that is. I would love to see the man try to do that, right? That would be an exciting time for him. <laughs> my wife is like, come on, man, let's let it go, you know? Like, I can't let it go, this invisible guy who's trying to hurt my daughter, you know? I fight that man all the time, let it go, bro. So it's wives, not women, husbands, not men, and her own husband. Do you see that? Just want to help, help us draw out what is going on here. And, and what are wives called to? They're called to submit. And that, the, just the tense that, these language, that the language is playing out in, this is a call to, not a force to. This is submit, not subjugate. Do you see who's doing in this verb, in this, in this verse? The woman is doing in this verse. It's important, this is her choosing. Women, this is you choosing to then order yourself inside of the leadership structure of your marriage underneath the authority of a husband. And it's the same language for like military personnel, okay? That's how, that's how the language plays, it could be used in, in the same context, in marriage or into these military leaders who are ordering this, the, the military hierarchy in, in order to maximize their impact and to win. Okay? And so that's, that's how these words are playing out. That's what it means for a woman to submit to her own husband. This is not a matter of intelligence or giftedness or value. This is a matter of the role that wives are playing in the drama of marriage. And in God's design, wives are relating to husbands like the church is relating to Jesus. That's what this passage is all about. Do you see that? And so it's described with language that is voluntarily taking a place. It's a voluntary taking of a place, which is a supernatural act. We'll get to that in a second. So the best way I've heard this described, how this would look in real time, to try to take in, how, okay, if I'm, a, if I'm a wife, how am I going to live out this calling that I have to submit to my husband and his authority as a husband? And so the, the best way I've heard that described is in these two words. Uh, it, it's, 
wives living out their worship of God, their reverence for Christ in the context of, context of marriage by responding and affirming. Okay, so if you wanna just put two kind of headlines, it would be responding and affirming. Responding, being responsive to the attempts, however weak, that a husband makes to lead his family to flourishing. Responding to that. And affirming, being affirming of the efforts your husband is making to try to see you and your family flourish in your faith. That would be two kind of big picture ideas that are kind of baked into this. What does it look like for a woman to say, hey, I'm going to go hard after my calling in marriage. It's these things. And so submission, again, is not subjugation. It's taking your place in your family as a wife that responds and affirms to her husband. And it's invaluable to a family. When you see this lived out, you will see a man... uh, You will see him press forward in his leadership, sharpened, strengthened. You will see a family that's stronger because of it when this is lived out. Okay, so consider the calling of husbands. This says in verse 25 through 30, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. And so there's this distinction, designed with distinction, distinction that women have, Uh, here's your calling that if you're going to live out your place in the drama of marriage, this is what that's gonna look like. And then for men, those are, that's like 41 words, and then for men, the high bar is set, and it's, it's not, this is why it's crazy to me that people would take and abuse this text, because it's 41 words that are given to women, and like 150 that are given to men. If, if this woman is going to be underneath your authority, you need to be, you must be an authority like this. Like this. Like Jesus. How are you to love your wife? This, for the record, this is the most revolutionary part of this text. The, the calling, the, kind of the, the vague descriptors that maybe were given to women, that could have been somehow traced in other cultures, but this, this is not heard of anywhere. This is a revolutionary text that husbands would love their wives, not just like with some mushy kind of uh, maybe fleeting affection, but with this ferocious love like Jesus. Where there has been abuse of power in marriage, it, has be- it is because this section of scripture has been totally ignored. You cannot abuse power and obey this section of scripture. You cannot do it. So what this means is that headship, that headship is the idea that the, that the scriptures put forward. It's the maybe big headline of how, of what the authority structure, what the leadership structure, how it's to be organized. It's with this headship of the husband. And, uh, and, and headship, or kind of like a final say, is, is maybe the shortest shorthand I know for that. Where the husband has headship authority, it's, the, it's only for the sake of serving his wife. Do you see that? If you're going to exercise authority, in the model that the Bible gives husbands, then it must be in a self-sacrificing, self-sacrificing Christ-like way. 
You cannot exercise authority in any other way and be biblical. So you know what that means. You cannot exercise biblical authority to serve yourself. If your authority and leadership, husbands, in the context of your marriage serves you and not your wife, you can be sure that you are disobeying God's command for you. So let's just consider this. Uh, it, the reason, well, I guess the reason why I can say that is because biblical authority is modeled after Jesus. How did Jesus love his bride? It tells you in the text. He gave himself up for her. And this is, this, the tense that that's in, that's not an ongoing giving, it's not like, I'm dying in small ways. No, he died in one big way on a cross for his bride. That's what Hebrews will tell you, once and for all, Jesus died for his people. Jesus initiated and sacrificed so that his bride would flourish. And that's what husbands are called to do in this framework that the Bible's giving us for the design of marriage. It's for this heroic uh, role of women to come underneath the authority of, of a man and respond and affirm and press him forward in ways like he never would have been pressed. And for husbands to come and lay down your life in every possible way that you can imagine for the sake of seeing your wife flourish. That is compelling. Two words just for men to try to wrap your mind around. What does it look like? If I'm going to try to do this this week, how can I anchor my actions to a couple of uh, words? And I would say initiate. Take, res- that's, it, take responsibility for something. You want to see a revolution, see a bunch of husbands taking responsibility and sacrificing. Initiate and sacrifice. Initiate and sacrifice. This is the pattern that we have. And that doesn't mean, just for the record, just to, to, to like this, I, I love, part of what I love about my job is I get to get in the room with people who are smarter than me and ask them for all their good ideas. That's like most of what I do all the time. I'm looking at faces in here and I've been in the room with you saying, can you tell me a better idea? I don't know all the answers. Do you have the answers? All I'm trying to do is take responsibility for this certain component of our church. Can you help me? And so that's what it means for you, husbands, in the context of your marriage, is you initiate and take responsibility, not have all the answers and ideas. Quite frankly, your wife probably has better ideas. I know mine does. And so particularly, I think that this initiation and sacrifice, if you had to see it play out in a couple of areas, I think it would play out in the context of uh, protection and provision for a spouse or for a family. Protection and provision. And so um, before you go and read all of the cultural norms you can think of into this, just know that the scripture gives the principle of headship and will not flesh it out further than that. It gives you the principle of headship and says, Figure out the specifics. Husbands, initiate and sacrifice for the sake of your bride. Wives, respond and affirm as that man is trying to protect and provide in a scope of, that's physical protection 
uh, and spiritual protection. That's physical provision and spiritual provision. And so, again, don't read cultural norms on it. Do you have to be the breadwinner? No. But you need to take responsibility, initiate, and make sure your family is provided for and be willing to sacrifice for the sake of seeing it happen. That's what that means. The Bible seems not to care exactly who does the dishes. It doesn't care. It cares that this man is laying down his life saying, I'm gonna choose your flourishing. How can I think about you? How can I move towards you? How can I initiate and take responsibility for your flourishing? How can I do that? And then this woman courageously saying, I see him trying. Come on, man. I'm going to throw fuel on that fire. You know, it's true. And you can tell me if I'm wrong, but I don't think I'm wrong. There's not a husband or a wife who doesn't long to see that in their spouse, who would not be helped and moved by seeing this picture of distinction played out in their spouse. And so, if we're being honest, I've, I've t- I said it's designed with distinction, but these are really big asks, but they're more than big asks. I think these are supernatural asks. If, if we're just like, all right, guys, wrap it up. Go out there, uh, women. You just crush it at responding and affirming that guy. And guys, die to yourself. Go get him. We'll see you next week. You know, like, that would be such a sad, not helpful message because that's not what the text calls you to. It doesn't call you to, um, it, it says that marriage is designed with distinction, but it's also designed for dependence. And I'll tell you what I mean. If you go back to Ephesians 5.22, see that it says, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. That sentence in the Greek language with, in which it was written doesn't begin in verse 22. So in our English language, you see it, it's a capital letter, so that's the beginning of a sentence, okay? That's a, the clue. And, um, but that's not the way that it actually reads. And submit isn't even in that sentence in the Greek because all of this is coming from verse 18. Verse 18 runs right into verse 22. And what does verse 18 say? Remember we talked about it last week? Don't get drunk with wine because that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Remember we said being filled with the Spirit? That's this, um, this way that the Spirit takes the truths of the gospel and makes them real in your soul. You're under the influence, the guiding of the Holy Spirit in your moment-to-moment life, surrendering to his influence, okay? And when that happens, the text gives you these participles, these things that are resulting from being filled by the Spirit, and those things are like singing songs, addressing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing songs, making melody to the Lord with your heart, uh, giving thanks to God, uh, giving thanks in all circumstances to God in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and and then it says in submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, comma. Comma. Wives to your husbands. So why why are we telling you that? This sentence in its original form is telling you that this act of submitting to your husbands, and I would, I would contend loving of your wives as Christ loved the church, that that is a result of being filled by God's Holy Spirit, not something that you manufacture, muster up on your own. Something you need God's help to do. It's a supernatural calling.
Both of these callings also are independent from one another. That's where you're gonna see it's designed with distinction and designed for dependence on the spirit, not on your spouse. Do you see what the root of the submission uh, husband or wives submit to your own husbands? Do you see what the root of it is? Trace it back. It's out of reverence for Christ. This is an act of worship to Jesus. It's not because your husband's awesome. I know him probably and I can tell you he's not. You can ask my wife, is her husband awesome? She'd say he's not. Jesus is awesome. So I'm gonna order myself according to his pattern. It's independent of one another. That means that husbands, it does not matter what your wife is like, what she says, what she does, nothing. You can do this, you can actually go about obeying this, living out, walking in worship in the context of marriage, independent from your spouse. This is amazing, this this will transform your marriage if you believe that. So the last thing I'll tell you, it's designed for dependence, it's designed with distinction, and then it's designed, it's designed to display God's glory and his goodness in the gospel. It's designed for that. What do I mean? Ephesians 5, 31 through 32 says, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. And so Paul comes to this conclusion of this section saying, hey, when you're filled by the Spirit, it's going to lead out in your interactions, your relationships in marriage. And he comes to this point of conclusion of this discussion, and he he quotes Genesis 2.24. And and Genesis 2.24, do you see it? A, A man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is the language of covenant. This is the language of covenant. The holding fast, this is, this is like being melded together. But it's kind of this really cool idea because it's not just being kind of melted together and you lose kind of one with the other. It's actually melted together, melded together in such a way where the distinction remains. But you can't separate them. You can distinguish them, but you can't separate them. And so marriage is built on covenant, not on chemistry. It's covenants greater than chemistry. And that covenant is meant to, res- to reflect something. So the mar- marriage is process by which two people become one body, one flesh. That is a profound mystery and it is about Jesus and the church. Look, look at what Paul's saying. It's about Jesus and the church. It's a living display, a drama of the gospel itself. You are living in it if you are married. In that marriage relationship, in that covenant, you are living out. Here's how I'd say this. Marriage for disciples of Jesus is the spirit-empowered embodiment of your role in the drama that is marriage. I mean, you have a dramatic marriage. It means that marriage is a drama in and of itself. It's preaching a message. And for disciples of Jesus, it's a spirit-empowered embodiment of your role in that. And so when we rely on the Spirit to help us embody this drama, it's gonna change you. And, and just because marriage is built on covenant, not chemistry, it should change you. That is actually part of the goal, is that you would be changed, that you would be conformed 
into Christ's likeness. Uh, Tim Keller talks about marriage as the closest form of Christian community, and inside the context of community, that is where we are being formed into the image of Jesus. So of all places, marriage should be changing you. If you're in the midst of some kind of conflict or some space where marriage is changing you, don't be surprised by that. Don't even be disheartened by that. Be encouraged, especially if it's conforming you more to the image of Jesus. It's good news. And as you are embodying, living out your role, God's using you to change your spouse. Not trying to change them, be the Holy Spirit for them. You live out your role and point them to Jesus. What is needed in marriage is what the gospel supplies more abundantly than anything else. It's grace. It's one thing when your spouse is embodying their role in this drama by the power of the Spirit. It's another thing when they're not, when they really stink at it, when they aren't looking to Jesus. Maybe both of you are failing more than succeeding. So what do you do in that moment if you're in that marriage today? You're both sitting here thinking, they stink at that, I stink at that. What do we do? Run, run to Je- Same thing we're telling our kids city, in Kids City. Run to Jesus because he loves you. Look at Jesus, look at what your marriage is actually meant to display. Look at him out of reverence for Christ, submit to him uh, because you're gonna uh, know how Jesus loves his church. You're included in that. Lay down your life for her. He supplies grace that trains us for godliness. And so be about your spouse's worship by living out your calling. I'm, I'm gonna tell you this, like if, you, if you're married in here, be about your spouse's worship. This has changed my week, quite frankly. My goal as a husband is not to prove how awesome I am. My goal as a husband is to do everything I can to catalyze a revival of joyful worship in my wife's life. I'll be honest, it's what I want most. That doesn't mean that you idolize your spouse. John Piper says it this way. It's this poem, I actually, it was a poem that would, I, th- I think I gave it to my wife the day before we got married, or she gave it to me, either way it was involved, okay? Wasn't even that long ago, so I'm like, how can I not remember? It says, a double rule of love that shocks a doctrine in a paradox. If you now aim your wife to bless, then love her more and love her less. What he's saying is love her more than anything in this world but not more than the one that she needs the most. When you love Jesus most, you can actually point your spouse to what they need the most. Live out your calling, and you will point them to Jesus. And if you aren't married, you're like, okay, dude, I've been sitting in here. If you aren't married, or if you are married, we need to see marriage through the lens of God's word and that will keep us from overvaluing it or undervaluing it. What does that mean? Is is marriage important? Yes, it's so important. Look at what it displays. But is marriage everything? Are you incomplete without it? No, not even a little bit. Not even a little bit. Those vows that people are making in weddings, they point forward to a wedding feast at which you will be seated if you are in Christ. Marriage is a drama of the gospel which you are intimately connected to if you are in Christ. 
Should you want marriages around you to flourish? Yes, because they are embodiment of the drama of marriage. Do you need to be married to be complete? Not even a little bit. You're part of Christ's bride already. You could not be more complete. We'll close by, uh, I'm gonna read this to you. It's from, it's actually this, it's a song we're gonna sing after this. It's the, uh, from uh, You're Beautiful by Phil Wickham. And uh, it was the song that was played on my wedding day. Um, It was uh, when my wife walked down the aisle, it was like, this, so man, this is not, not expected, so I'm sorry. Um, <clears throat> it, was a, it was a great day for me, okay? But it's not about our wedding day. It's about another wedding day. Listen to the lyrics. When we arrive at eternity's shore, where death is just a memory and tears are no more, we'll enter in as the wedding bells ring. Your bride will come together and we'll sing. You are beautiful. Marriage is a gospel-fueled act of worship designed with distinction, designed for dependence, and designed to display God's glory in the gospel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, (laughs) we could miss this one thing in here and it would just be the biggest shame What's written in the text is that you love us. We are your bride. You laid down your life for us. And if there's anybody in here who is wrestling with that truth, who is um, not sure about that truth, would you sink it down deep in their souls today? Would you remind them that Jesus Christ, he was born, he lived a life they could never live, and then he died a death that we all deserved, and then he rose again in victory forever. And where marriages are falling apart, would you put them back together, King Jesus? Where there are people who are longing for marriage, who are single, and they just can't imagine a, a joy, a real deep joy without being married, would you convince them, Father, that their completeness is in Jesus alone? Would you give women, wives in this community, courage to submit to their own husbands in a way that transforms those husbands? And would you give husbands the courage and the power through the Spirit to lay down their lives so that their wives would flourish? Would you help us to be a community like that? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.